Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. And welcome to episode 259 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the first episode of April 2019. It's a little late, you guys, but there's a reason for that. Uh, This particular episode was recorded with somebody, so we have a special guest. Joining me here in the studio right now, we have Gretchen. Hey. Rachel. Hi there. And Mr. Martin Vavra. Hey there. Let's talk about some housekeeping real quick. Did you guys know, my friends here at the Kaiju Cast, that we produced an 18 by 24 Kaiju Cast 10th anniversary poster with art done by Mondo poster artist Tom Whalen? What? Wow. No way. Tell us more. It's available for sale right now on KaijuCast.com. If you have not checked that out, Please do. The art is amazing. It really is. I'm such a huge fan of it. It's awesome. Uh, And that's not the only thing that we're producing right now. We are kicking off our T-shirt of the month club, which is sort of just a ridiculous idea I had that I've scaled it a little bit back. You have the ability to pre-order a T-shirt every month for the rest of the year. We are producing a T-shirt starting with the Death Metal Kaiju Cast logo done by my friend Nev, Gruesome Graphics. He set that up for me last year, and this is the I'm finally getting around to producing a t-shirt. So the very first one is up for pre-order. The t-shirt of the month club will do a pre-order for an entire month, and then after the pre-order closes, we'll produce the shirts, and then they'll get shipped out the following month. And it's just going to keep going. So this month, April, we're doing the Nev shirt as a pre-order for delivery in May. May's pre-order will be the Tom Whalen artwork on the t-shirt, which we're going to do on uh, two options. One will be a white t-shirt, and one will be a Raglan baseball three-quarter style shirt. Oh, okay. What color? I think blue is the sleeves, but I'm not sure on that yet. We haven't figured that out. i got to talk to the t-shirt place. Uh, And then also the following one for G-Fest, pre-order in June, deliver in July, will be a super cool kaiju shirt. So some of these shirts are going to be Kaiju Cast specific shirts, like branding, if you mm-hmm. want to rep the Kaiju Cast. Yeah. And some of them are going to be like those awesome fan-made t-shirts you see of giant monsters. We love them both. Exactly. Do it up. Right. So yeah. I'm super excited about that, and I hope that you guys get out there and pre-order. You know, support the Kaiju Cast. Yeah. Uh, this is our final year of doing the show, and I want to continue seeing Kaiju Cast stuff on the streets for years to come. That's right. <laughs> right? Right? Indeed. So in 2017, at the end of 2017, we watched a movie for the Daikaiju discussions called Reptilicus. Do you guys recall this movie? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Do you recall how it went over? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We did not care for this film. Oh. (laughs) And we ripped on this film quite a bit. So that was in December of 2017. Now, in April of 2018, several of us went down to Monster Palooza 
And pretty much like right when I walked up to Jim Cirinella's table, he's the guy that manages the guests, the Japanese guests. Uh, he was just like, dude, you got Reptilicus all wrong. <laughs> and I need to set you straight about Reptilicus. And uh, as requested by Jim, I did have a, I, I have to say I had a hole in the schedule that I needed to fill. <laughs> and I decided to fill it with, uh, with Reptilicus, really. And well, so that's ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yes, yeah. it's ridiculousness. Uh, but we have Jim Cirinella here on the line with us. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's almost like being in Denmark, I guess. Right? <laughs> uh, so, how on earth are you going to make us understand the goodness that lies within Reptilicus? <laughs> Well, you know, let me start off by saying, you know, you, you guys weren't wrong in a lot of your observations about the movie. Um, you know, the people who made the movie often said it was not very good and they didn't expect it was very good uh, or they didn't expect it to be received very well. But, um, you know, there is there is a context to this movie and it's very similar to how a lot of the Japanese monster movies or overseas monster movies that, um, you know, had a lot of charm for kids growing up in the seventies. And so, you know, that time era, mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, existed, uh, um, it was just a different, you know, much different time and the circumstances, which the, you know, the film were produced under and then how it was kind of like batted about between, uh, AIP and, and Sid Pink, um, you know, that just needs to be taken into account in some way. You know, it's not as simple as some of the, you know, the films that are produced here and, um, you know, which are just flat out bad, bad decisions made across the board. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, personally speaking, you know, I don't really care for what AIP did with it. And, uh, if, um, you know, starting out with Sid Pink, and Samuel Arkoff, who was, you know, the head of AIP, these guys were from a different era. I mean, I personally knew Sid Pink. I licensed Reptilicus from him. Right. Yes. Um, the ability to make the uh, a vinyl toy, um, which he had given the license to. Somebody else had gotten the license from him just before I did it. And he outright canceled their license and oh. gave it to me oh. on recommendation oh, wow. of a friend. I mean, nice. this guy was literally the 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 picture of a cigar chomping movie mogul. Um, <laughs> he, he literally said him and I talking on the phone about the Reptilicus toy. He literally his exact words were, "Kid, you're going to make a million bucks." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't okay. know Reptilicus did so well for you, Jim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, I think I'd have to still be selling them long after I'm gone to make a million dollars. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, uh, um, you know, that's the that's the kind of guy he was, and uh, and it was endearing, and I can completely understand why him and Sam Markoff, another cigar-chopping movie mogul, um, didn't see eye-to-eye -eye on this movie. And uh, to its to ultimately to its detriment. Mm -hmm. So uh, the version that you've seen is not really, you know, is not really the version that, um, you know, that was produced. And uh, I'm sure you guys have heard that there's a, you know, a Danish version out there 
You know, I've heard yeah, you know, that there's a Danish version, but like nobody that I know has ever seen it. Do you have you seen the Danish version, the original release of this? Yeah, film? it's 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 available all over the place. I mean, what? it's probably on YouTube, but the um the DVD's been available for years. And of course, you know, in the the, the early days of um uh, whatever uh you know, being able to go before there was an Amazon Denmark, if there even is one, or Amazon. Uh, Amazon.de, uh, baby. <laughs> any of the, you know, any of the European Amazon sites that probably have it, um, you know, it was discussed on message boards and somebody from Denmark would post a link and say, hey, look, you could go buy it from from this, you know, webs- this Danish website over here. So um, there was plenty of ways to get it. I mean, I'm tempted to say I'll have to check that out. But at the same time, we're talking about Reptilicus here. Is it really well, worth checking out? Kind of like jumping ahead at what you know, what what that all means. You uh-huh. know, what a, a Danish version of it means. So you have to like, we have to discuss the production a little bit. Well, yeah. Let's, for, can we talk about the guys who originally made it? Sure. Tell me about the birth of Reptilicus in terms of uh, a story concept into movie script and into so, production. You know, this all this all started with Sid Pink. And, you know, let me I, I have to preface everything with um I would not know what I know about Reptilicus without a gentleman named Kip Dotto. Kip is the guy who did all this research. Um he, he produced a book, Reptilicus the screenplay, mm-hmm. you know, with um uh authorization from Sid Pink when he was alive. And uh, it's basically the screenplay, but he also, um, you know, it's a uh, reproduction of the screenplay in book form. But he has a lot of extra material in there and goes into, you know, why um, why the movie came about the way it was. But in a nutshell, Sid Pink was a was a movie producer. Um, he, he was very much about, um, you know, the gimmicky side of, you know, of movie exploitation and exhibition he's he's credited with producing the first full-length feature 3d film you know from there um you know did uh the angry red planet you know is a popular one um you know another popular title in his legacy you know just a very offbeat you know space travel movie you know with a lot of bizarre imagery um, that you didn't normally see in you know the more straight-laced science fiction of the time and um again it's one of its claim to fame is besides you know the weird aliens in it like the rat bat spider and so forth is this um process called cinemagic which didn't actually do what they wanted it to do um they wanted to achieve a kind of 3d effect without using the glasses and um instead it gave the scenes on mars this kind of bizarre um, like glowing effect mm. so and they and they could actually film cheaper because they could do it i believe in black and white and then the process you know they would just tint the movies in color but they would when they the uh main characters exit the spaceship on mars they can you know they can walk around in uh in uh sets that are a little bit more than you know um sketches by one of the film's producers and then this um uh process um and they could film it in black and white and you know which was cheaper and then this process would render it 
you know, to look like this glowing red, you know, environment. Um, so, you know, this was very, again, this was very much Sid Pink's thing, you know, like what's the gimmick, you know, how, how do I sell this thing? And, and look by, uh, all indications, that's a perfect match for American International Pictures. You know, Samuel Larkoff and James Nicholson, their entire thing was come up with the title. You know, James Nicholson was the was really the idea guy. Uh-huh. Come up with the title and hand it off and we can we can sell this title. I was a teenage werewolf. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like we need to get we need to get teenagers, you know, there's there's no movies being made for teenagers. How do we get that market into seats in a theater? Okay, well, here's a title. I was a teenage werewolf and go and they would find some production company, some independent director to go out and make this, you know, movie. And, um, and that worked. You know, it did get people into, it did get young people of the time into theaters. So, you know, Reptilicus is the same. It's cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, what Sid was doing at that point was, uh, I, I'm, fuzzy on on the the timeline but he was basically going overseas to produce you know motion pictures because um you know it was cheaper it was outside the hollywood studio system for whatever that was at the time you know i'm sure was you know not was not all that interested in you know these independent um, productions out there taking away business so um he partnered with somebody in Denmark and he had done, you know, he had also done movies in Spain. He was, you know, he's basically working, you know, overseas. So, um, he convinced them, you know, this <laughs> partnered with a, a studio in, in Denmark, Saga Studios that was known for their comedies. And, um, oh, uh, that explains a the, couple of scenes. It, it, that also explains the, um, the guy in the overalls, Peterson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a huge star in Denmark. That's he's a huge comedic character in Denmark. So in Denmark, the working title was Dirk and the Dragon because that's Dirk. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no way. That's cool. And, and one of the things that happens in the Danish version is he actually has a song, just like the the <laughs> oh, you know, nightclub routine. Yeah, trying to convince you know the, the, this song. Um, reptilicus he's trying to convince kids that this reptilicus creature is really scary and they're kind of like laughing him off you know so you know that's the spirit that this movie was done in it wasn't done to be it's you know i compare it to king kong versus godzilla it's the uh, original version of king kong versus godzilla is like the it's a mad 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 world of kaiju <laughs> Ega. it's a you know it's not supposed to be taken it's it's family entertainment. It's not supposed to be taken completely seriously. You know, you have, you know, characters, you know, they go off on an expedition and one character runs into a closet and there's all this crashing and he comes out in full, you know, explorer, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, costume, you know, complete with the hat and everything. Um, it, you know, I mean, the, the main character in, you know, one of the main characters in the King Kong versus Godzilla is a, he's a known comedian in Japan. He was never, you know, that's Mr. Taco. He was never, uh, um, you know, with his little Hitler mustache, he was never in <laughs> any other, you know, Kaiju Ega. He's there for a purpose, you know, which is the comedic element. You know, he's a funny character. 
And that's what Reptilicus has. You know, it's not supposed to be this, um, you know, completely, you know, serious, uh, you know, drama. Um, although, you know, certainly Sid Pink, you know, made his version that way. He, he wasn't all about, you know, the, the, what the Danish studio was putting in their version. So that's, um, you know, but I mean, again, he was making it for kids. This was entertained, you know, this was a giant monster romp for kids. And, uh, um, and that's actually how they did the production. They did it side by side, um, with pink doing the directing an English language version. And then the Danish director would step in, they do a scene <laughs> The Danish director would step in and do the exact same scene in Danish. Whoa, like, that's nuts! With yeah. the same, no with the same actors the on it, yeah. And um, and Sid Pink was also an accomplished uh, voice dubber. Um, you know, had, had done I wouldn't that say stuff. So, accomplished. So he was well. He was preparing. You know, he was well. It, it was an art in sixties and seventies. You know, it's not like it is now. Um, um, this is what you know, some people did their entire careers was that they dubbed foreign films. So he was, he was a lot of things, but he was not a slouch when it came to that. He was preparing, you know, this movie for English language audiences, his version. So he handed AIP a version that was completely dubbed, you know, completely re-looped so that it would be understandable in English. And, uh, you know, and, and he was vetting those actors, you know, the, the, this actor here could speak English well, uh, the, the general, um, they had some trouble with, so they, they actually redubbed his voice. You and, don't say, cause he yeah, was right. just like, I think what, that's what I said in the episode is like, he sounds like he's right, like an inch away from my ear at all times. Right. Yeah. That's what I was right. meaning well, by he, that dubbing um, aspect is it seemed like there was such an inconsistency in the vocal like ranges of the actors and the person who was doing the like those dubbed in voices. Yeah. Like those were not set at the same tonality. Like, mm. as far well, as keep, keep in mind that the version that you've seen is right. redubbed again by American International Pictures. But this ended up in a lawsuit. So Reptilicus was done, I guess, in I'll have to look at the the notes, but it, I believe is that, it was a, is that shot a lawsuit we can get in on? Like can we get in on this lawsuit? <laughs> is this like a, a public thing? Like if Reptilicus has hurt you in the past, like you get to get well, like this, some this of your was, money back. You know, Pain and suffering. I think you'll I think you'll need to um you know, start smoking big cigars right. and invest a lot of money in movies. <laughs> Make so a million could... bucks. Listen here, Karen, this is how we're going to play it. <laughs> yeah, you have those kinds of bragging rights, you know, and, you know, while you're, while you're holding your crotch going, well, mine, mine are bigger than yours, pal. But that's what it's, that's what seemed to happen with, with, with Reptilicus. It's a, um, if I, if I'm recalling the dates correctly, it was filmed in 1960, but did not come out in the USA until the U S version didn't come out until 1962. So they were batting this back and forth, you know, (laughs) spending a lot more time than it was worth for a movie that should have just went out there and and do what it did. Probably a lot uh, more time than it took to make the movie. If I recall correctly, they Sid pink said that it was, it took, um, probably longer than, you know, longer than expected for the budget. And we were still only talking about maybe 
they filmed like during summer months and then like maybe a month after that. Right. And then it took the rest of that year to like finish it. So he had it wrapped up, you know, within probably, uh, you know, from shooting until, you know, having a final cut, like maybe eight months. And to him, that was a long time. I think to any independent producer at the time, that was a long time. But he was working with, you know, the situation was he was working with a Danish studio that was doing their own version and also supplying all of the resources to film within Denmark. So this wasn't like, you know, this wasn't guerrilla filmmaking. I mean, they actually had a studio to do work, you know, to do this production in and uh and the locations and the military and the and you know he, there's a navy destroyer in there at some point and they're actually yeah. dropping depth depth charges and stuff so you know he had a lot of cooperation you know it wasn't it wasn't some small little shoot yeah it now so the actual premise and the birth of reptilicus was all on state side like cuz it sounds like you're saying Sid Pink took this idea to a studio in Denmark. Correct. Okay, so this is not like a Japanese movie, like AIP took the Japanese films. It's not like a co-production like like those. It's more like this is a movie we're bringing to Denmark to shoot. So for him, for Sid Pink, his final destination was American theaters. Did the original country intend to release this on their own still as that uh, Dirk and the Dragon film? I, I think that was just the, the you know, like title. the working title, probably... Okay you know more for promotion if if you um okay you've seen the um just about everybody's seen you know the great one sheet poster art you know this of reptilicus basically taking down it looks like the it's amazing the golden gate bridge yeah. and you know there's the the typical you know guy and gal you know that <laughs> basically looking up at them i mean yeah it's you know that's you know that in itself is a lost art we don't have anything like that anymore we're like one art that's that's uh uh what's his name i'm blanking um reynolds um completely you know prolific um poster artist who uh um who made these who got people into the theaters just on the strength of you know a single image that he would put together for that for that movie advertising well the danish one <laughs> is this very cartoony reptilicus I'm trying to find a picture of it really quick so i could describe it um i had, just so oh, everybody knows yeah, i asked kyle before can we can we bring visual aids to this? Yeah, what we <laughs> can do said, is well, I will said, include well, it's, a, it's audio, so yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's going to work. But I will <laughs> I will include a link in the show notes so the listeners can check it out when they're listening to the episode. It, okay, yeah, that's good. Jim, um, it kind of reminds it, me it, of I don't I don't know if you're into video games at all, but as a big video game nerd myself, it whenever. Uh, video games would come out in Japan, they'd have like this incredible artwork and it looks awesome. And then they release them in America and it's super corny, cartoony, terrible. And that happens time and again. And it has happened from the eighties until now with so much art. And it's always interesting to see. It's like, what were the marketing people thinking when you have such great art on this one poster? Why release it with that terrible version? (laughs) You know? Right. Well, yeah, it's, it's a lost, you know, um, look, it's, you know, it's, it's a lost art. It's, it was the, yeah. what they did with, that's what they did in exploitation cinema. Most mm-hmm. of the time, the artwork was better 
than what was actually put on screen. Yeah, and that's uh, pretty amazing. So the the um, the Saga Saga Studios is the is the Danish production company that released the Danish version of Reptilicus. Their version has a very cartoony Reptilicus. It has the the typical um, like montage of the stars of the film, um, mm-hmm. kind of like in one corner. Um, you know, which movies, you know, would do back then. And Dirk Passer, you know, Peterson, the guy in overalls is right in the front. Yeah. I mean, that's the guy that they're selling. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then there's like some really silly, uh, very, you know, 1950s looking kind of like line drawing of like people holding their, you know, their, hands to the side of their face and screaming. And the guy up front is basically Gilligan. It looks like Gilligan. Absolutely yeah. silly. So, you know, and that, and that's always the thing everybody talks about. Why is Gilligan on? The, that's on the funny. <laughs> it's like action just, comics. Number one, what makes it is the guy in the front of the poster that you're like looking all scared. <laughs> Superman picking up the cars, what that comic so, cover is for the people don't know. <laughs> so it's definitely a different, you know, it was, it was that's marketed funny. in a different style. And, um, you know, again, saga studios was known for their comedies and their biggest star was basically a comedic actor. Um, so this was just kind of like a fun romp. I I don't, from everything I remember being told, I don't believe the Danish had very good opinion of this movie when it came out. (laughs) So, um, as you know, representative of their country. So, uh, um, (laughs) it, you know, it fell flat on that, you know, on, on that, uh, aspect, but, um, no Danish Oscar. No. Probably not. No. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, before we get too far away from the poster discussion, because we uh, we've been talking about it for a bit, while Jim is uh, regaling us with these amazing tales of the Danish poster, the Italian poster is amazing. Really? Like Rad. so cool. It's like got this blood red dragon on one side right. and a big black what? and white thing in the background i will definitely also include that in the show notes when i was thinking about this uh, movie for this discussion <laughs> i was just you know i was thinking hey denmark has their monster you know reptilicus i was just thinking about that too gee so the italians don't really have a giant monster what's up with that and then i was figuring well they were so horrible with their fascism you know they were just really good at real monsters like mussolini so <laughs> why do you even need a giant monster you know it's <laughs> like <laughs> They're just really excited so about about other people's monsters now. They should have gone with the yeah. Italian design in the movie. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> way cooler. So, looking. Anyway, um, so the, the the poster is one you know example of you know the the differences in how that was made and marketed. Mm-hmm. But um, to answer your your question, and it'll kind of go into this next. Um, idea of like comparing you know well what are you missing when you don't haven't seen the danish version so this is probably something that um uh said pink was working on or is an idea kicking around you know eve melchior is uh, also you know the the writer and whatever on angry red planet or director i I forget his all of his involvement with with said pink but another you know science fiction guy um from you know the 60s basically um, who was tied to, you know, several films. I, I'm not sure who did, you know, what, who had the idea, who fleshed out the screenplay. Maybe they both did. But Sid was basically 
um, he had ties to Denmark from uh, his from Angry Red Planet and possibly other movies being distributed over there. And then that's why I guess there was this idea, well, we can shoot something with greater scope if we do it overseas, whatever reason brought him overseas and actually brought um, with, this is a little bit obscure, but the actress from angry red planet brought her over to Denmark and she was under contract with him. And when she found out, she wasn't going to be the star of this movie. She's the star of Angry Red Planet. The actress is Nora Hayden. Okay. And when she, um, uh, you know, a, a tall redhead, when she found out she wasn't going to be the star of this one, it was going to be like a, you know, kind of more of like an ensemble cast. Uh, there really is no star in the movie. You know, there's several, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like they have all the, they've, they've, it's like they made a checklist and they've hit all the, um, must-haves in a monster movie. You know, you have your scientist, <laughs> scientist reporter. You have, your, uh, yeah. you have your general. You have the well. The, the general becomes very daughters. centric once once all the mayhem starts. It's really about the general. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it really is. He's yeah. he's the center of everything that's going on, acting, action-wise, all of that stuff, and everybody else is just supplementing. They're just green yeah. slime on the cake. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's really about so, him trying to get the words out of his mouth. Yeah, he's it takes, really hard takes a half a film to figure out who the protagonist is. Right, right. So he, he does have some good lines, though. I mean, just as I was revisiting the movie, <laughs> yes. and he gets introduced. You know, he gets introduced, and he's just kind of like, "I'd be a lot happier if I wasn't here." Oh, no offense, ma'am. You know, or, or what's, the, what's the line? Like, you expect me to, you know, live in this hell? Yeah. <laughs> like, gee, I didn't think Denmark was that bad. Yeah. <laughs> he, had but, to, uh, he had to pay for it by going through and doing that whole tourism board video in the middle of the movie. <laughs> so, you know, um, so we have an ensemble cast, basically, and this actress was not happy about that so she left the production mm-hmm. and um and i guess you know got out of her contract with with sid and um so that led to um two different actresses playing but they were just moving people around i guess and so a different actress plays her role in the danish version than plays it in the american version and then you have to understand <laughs> the movie that you're seeing is actually that you've seen is actually neither. So Sid Pink, um, gets this production up and running with saga studios. Um, their director, uh, the name, his name is, uh, Paul Bong. He then, um, films the Danish version side by side. You know, I don't, I'm ignorant of like what his other works would be. Okay. They could be comedies. They could be, you know, whatever. But I assume another contract director, you know, all studios pretty much, especially foreign ones ran, you know, under contract, you know, directors had to do what was handed to them. Actors had to do what was handed to them. And, um, uh, so, you know, Sid's making this specifically, you know, for American market (laughs) version and this other director is making specifically for the Danish market version. And then Sid's version gets sent overseas. The Danish version does what it does because it's not intended for here. And uh, this, the one that comes to America, 
you know, there's this, um, you know, can, now there's a con- some kind of contentious arrangement back and forth where AIP is saying, we don't like this movie. You know, we don't like what you've delivered. And it, it ends up being a lawsuit um, where they, they change things and Sid sees it and, and says, you know, I don't like what you've done. And there ends up being a lawsuit. And then finally it's settled and, um, and the movie comes out. So the, you're not really seeing the American version either, which I tend to think was and and, you know, People like Kip Dotto, who, you know, again, has done way more research and um, just fact finding and <laughs> and digging on this movie than anybody else that I know, um, you know, actually looked for the it does this American version that Sid Pink made or English language version still exist and he couldn't find it. So we're never really seeing what that version is we're seeing some kind of like bastardized version that aip put together and we're the seeing the is, version of the film that has survived the battlefield like there's bandages all over it he's like hobbling on a crutch and he's like what i was gonna say is to me when you make a movie this cheesy you know, let it be what you, if, if you try to hide its cheesiness, and this goes back to King Kong versus Godzilla. No, that movie's never going to win awards for its rendition of King Kong. I mean, it's generally considered the most abysmal King Kong ever. Yeah. But the movie is endearing. People yeah. love it. People loved it as kids. It was an event when that movie was on television, you know, during holidays, um, you know, at least among me and my friends it's like so, the holiday uh, special you just it's got yeah. a special place in your heart <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> except the king you, kong you know, versus Godzilla was screened we a lot were watching more. the american <laughs> version which you know has which cuts in a lot of footage of people sitting around and trying to explain this stuff as if it's scientifically <laughs> happening yeah you know? <laughs> uh, there's you know the, the movie starts out with you know this eric carter on you know, the UN, uh, what is he, the U- UN reporter, and he's just, you know, uh, calling around the globe to all these, you know, get all these news reports. And they talk about these, you know, mysterious um, berries that have a narcotic effect and how rare they are. But yet he's got a jar of them sitting right on his desk. Jim, it's do like, you not so rare, like, why do you have these? Things, do you, you not know? subscribe to the UN channel on your cable provider? It's a really great channel. <laughs> Eric Carter's been doing the news since 1962. Oh, so he's still around. Yeah, yeah that's, he's probably been taking a lot of those berries. To, to I think it's what keeps going. him so young. Yeah, but you know that's so that's pretty much, in my estimation, what AIP did with you know it took a similar tact with mm-hmm. Reptilica, and they tried to hide. You know, that it's basically a big marionette by repeating a lot of footage over and over again, slowing it down and just making it look about a thousand times worse than it already is. And then they added the the green slime effect, <laughs> so, which, uh, you know, doesn't make any sense at all. And the um, little Jackie and, paper people deaths. <laughs> right. The um, uh, what originally happens in that scene which is um, <laughs> basically a, a family on a farm, right? <laughs> which is pretty bizarre. Um, the father is, you know, a, a mother, two kids and, and a father. And uh, when Reptilicus attacks and they're basically sitting there 
looks like they're eating dinner and the whole house is shaking. The father runs out the door and a giant foot basically brings the entire (laughs) roof down. (laughs) And, uh, um, you know, again, it, it is what it is. And to, to say, well, that's no good. So let's put in something that's even more ridiculous, <laughs> you know, this little paper cutout and we're going to animate that, you know, going into his mouth is just <laughs> yeah. really, really silly. You know, so you, you haven't bad. hid anything. You haven't, you haven't enhanced it. You haven't made it any better, you know? Uh, and it's the same thing with the reptilicus flying things. I mean, uh, so that's another thing that's famously missing from the um, American version that they cut out because, uh, oh no, we can't, you know, it's just going to ruin the entire thing if we actually show this marionette for what it is. <laughs> It'll <laughs> kill the illusion. Flawless composite shots were so, <laughs> so sold me. Yeah. So convincing. Right. So, you know, I, I just don't understand that, um, you yeah. know, we'll, we'll never understand. To me, it takes away the entertainment value. Sure, yeah, yeah. We want um, the marionettes. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, even as kids, you know, we, and this is why, you know, I'm not, I mean, it's not my generation, but I'm not a fan of mystery science theater because. I was going to ask kids, you that. We, yeah. we made fun of these things, you know, ourselves. Yeah. You know, we're perfectly capable of coming up with our own comedy and didn't need, you know, I, I was. So you think you could have done it better than them? I see. Oh, actually, I si- see. actually, Kip Dotto. <laughs> Kip Dotto said he summed it up for me the best. You know why I don't like it. Well, his attitude about mystery. We talked about it, and mm-hmm. Reptilicus was never on Mystery Science Theater. It wasn't until recently. Yeah, no, it's when, on the new version. Yeah, Kip, yeah, when Kip was doing this book and everything, and. And, uh, and I was doing the vinyl toy and we would discuss Reptilicus and, um, uh, you know, it, it hadn't been lampooned yet, but, um, basically, uh, um, you know, he summed it up, you know, his thoughts on Reptilicus or on mystery science theater were the same as mine and, um, or his feelings about it and, uh, and why he doesn't care for it. He just summed it up more succinctly than I could. He said, basically, um, trying to think the exact words he said it takes something that i enjoy and turns it into something i completely dislike <laughs> you know it's oh, like okay. i i don't sit there you know my thing is i don't sit there with those guys and their jokes and the audience and laugh with them hmm. because to me it's just not funny you know okay. whereas when i was watching king kong versus godzilla as a kid, it was freaking funny, you know, but it was also entertaining and it has charm. And yeah. that's what Reptilicus has that all these other movies, you know, I watched what's this, the recent big stupid shark movie? Um, the Sharknado or the Meg? Yeah. I am so behind. Um, you know, which, which is like somewhat serious, you know, and, uh, um, it, you know, not even, you know, taking into account things like Sharknado or whatever, which are, you know, just made for the absolute ridiculous effect. Yeah. And it's like for all the effects and everything, it's absolutely ridiculous. And you completely forget about it after you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, you sit there and say, why are these people even doing any of this stuff? Just 
leave, you know? Oh, see, I, see I think they make, for me, it's worth watching the movie for their comedy, but I, I also, I'm a huge fan of, of Joel, um, on Mystery Science Theater with the original stuff. Um, uh, he's, he, he does the best stuff, but, but really, I mean, I, I can see what you mean where if it's a movie that I really actually like and enjoy watching, I would be annoyed if somebody comes in and they just talk over it and they make fun of it with their own jokes when it's not something that I think is funny. Like, I can see your point there. Well, also keep, sure. in, keep in mind what Mystery Science Theater really was and then what it became. Mm-hmm. Mystery Science Theater was a cable access show mm-hmm. that took basically, you know, movies that they had the rights to show were public domain and just, you know, riffed on it. And, yeah. uh, and we, you know, growing up, we had a similar thing with horror hosts, you know, I, totally. uh, yeah. we, had a, we had, you know, a chiller theater where I lived, but it didn't have a horror host. It had like a claymation hand that came out of like quicksand. That oh, was like, the <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, um, uh, I could get from Philadelphia, this uh these two shows mad theater and mad theater and horror theater i forget but the but the horror host was dr shock and he would do funny skits based on things that were in you know in vogue at the time so it was all in good fun and and this yeah. stuff would take you know place during you know these bad monster movies but right. you know we were like you know as kids without video Mm-hmm. Without the without access to VHS at the time, and there was no cable TV, um, you would go nuts. You know, you're like Saturday's coming, and you have like every movie that's going to be on that you want to see circled in the TV guide. You know, mm-hmm. so it was a fun thing, and this only like added to the fun. And Mystery Science Theater, you know, came along, and like I said, it was a cable access thing for like a certain demographic and. Yeah. You know, it was on late at night and it was supposed to be, you know, be- before Mystery Science Theater and I was in college, there was a thing called Night Flight. Oh, and yeah. I watched actually, Night Flight. It, it actually um, preceded Power Rangers. They they actually had mm-hmm. Dynaman, which is a, a Super Sentai series that came out before mm-hmm. um, the series that became Power Rangers because, the you know, Saban and company and whoever was trying to bring it over here just couldn't sell it. Yeah. So this incarnation of whatever you want to call this thing was taking Dynaman and dubbing over ridiculous dialogue. Um, you know, the, the, the Rangers are in there, yeah. you know, super mecha saying, you know, or, or it's a bunch of like vehicles before it combines to become a giant robot. And they're going, our vehicle looks fake. And then the next group goes, ours looks faker, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. So that's what Mystery Science Theater was born out of. Sure. Yeah. Kind of, you know, and it was for college kids. It was, you yeah. know, we would watch it and, you know, either drunk or stoned or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and would be like, yeah, hey, look at this stupid. Sh-. No. Sir, that's what a family <laughs> show there, Jim. Family it show. wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't you this time, Rachel. <laughs> um, to divert back to talking about the movie, um, so we never really got to see. We only saw one version of it, right? So we saw the AIP, yeah, Sid Pink version. Right. So I'm willing to give this another view if I could see the Danish version to 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 capture maybe some of this nostalgia or like the, the enjoyment out of it. Cause I'm all about like seeing it. If it's like, if it's meant to be funny, because the, the presentation that we saw 
I don't, was that supposed to be funny? Cause it was funny because there's some <laughs> like, he uh, kind of like uh, what Peterson, like almost electrocutes him or he electrocutes himself. But right, right. I wasn't really sure if he actually electrocuted himself or it was, he was pretending for, he, for it, nobody, um, for nobody. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on it, but Peterson, <laughs> or Dirk, Dirk Passer has, he had a, um, you know, like, like Abbott and Costello or who, you know, he I had could, a, I could say that another vibe. part of his duo. His little oh, okay. routine. He was the more famous guy, but he had a guy that he regularly worked with. And I believe he's in Reptilicus. I would have to <laughs> look it over again and know, you know, but I mean, that was deliberate <laughs> to have them both in there doing their thing. Again, yeah. it would be like putting, you know, it would be like casting Costello and having Abbott show up, you know, mm-hmm. in a, a serious giant monster movie, yeah. you know. So, uh, um, you're seeing, you know, what you're talking about is you're just seeing like little inklings of that. And we're never going to see the the actual English version that Sid Pink did because, you know, that doesn't exist. Um, okay. What we're seeing is kind of like a slice and diced version that's been completely redubbed mm. and, you know, has the effects tampered to the point that... um I don't know. They're less. They're even less effective so you know, never, than they should have been. So was he never meant to spew acid and eat cartoon cut out people and be a monstrosity, or was he meant to be like a funny? I no. Well, I think the hook was that um, you know, in terms of it being a giant monster movie, is that um, you know, the hook was the regenerative capabilities. That probably is something that if Melchior. Ah. You know, that seems like his style. Sid mm-hmm. Pink just wanted to make, you know, giant monsters. Sure. So, but that would make money, you know. And it's it and it's no more it's not supposed to be slapstick you know, any more than, you know, King Kong or Godzilla are slapstick in right. King Kong versus Godzilla. But to cut in like the Americans did, you know, and try to make and have scientists sitting around with big picture dinosaur books trying to explain <laughs> that these are dinosaurs and we're, you know, that's and make it scientific in nature is, is ridiculous. Oh, uh, that's I not you can making even, the movie any, any, yeah. you know, any you can even string the two together, Reptilicus and King Kong versus Godzilla sure. and their comedy too, because even stuff that like, uh, those two guys from the pharmaceutical company, right. Exactly. You, you for Jiki <laughs> at one point when they're on their way to find Kong, gets quote attacked by a lizard mm-hmm. and then he spins mm-hmm. it around and it's like super dumb really like i it's one of those things that i always <laughs> sort of forget about do you remember that you i know? guess yeah you think it's funny just like, <laughs> are you are you making As that in, noise no, because yeah, it's horrible because it is it's horrible but it makes me laugh because it's so you're like they really did that like they that's really what that. that's more but, of the, but that's what i'm the, saying like, yeah yeah no that's a, i don't another i don't think it's legitimately like, like it, it's more like the comedy, comedy scene um, it's more like the comedic <laughs> aspect of king kong versus godzilla like for example right. the uh the, the, the head of the pharmaceutical company you know mr taco has a great stake in you know king kong is his monster and has and has this great stake in King Kong succeeding to beat Godzilla to where they're sneaking around and hiding behind trees. And the military is saying, what are you guys doing here? And uh, and he's like flipping coins and, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's intentionally in there to be 
you know, funny. Yeah. Yeah. We um, talked yeah. about then King Kong versus Godzilla version, being the a American funny American version, the, when, they're, when they're sitting there filming and the guy says, let me get a light reading and he holds out a microphone. <laughs> it's like, that is not supposed to be funny, but it's, it's just stupid. You know, it's, it's, you know, lame brained. It's, you know, who actually did this? Whoever did this was asleep at the wheel. The, if, if, um, you know, you know anything about filming back then, you know, they would, uh, you know, news filming, they had those little 16 millimeter field cameras that didn't record sound. So you would have to have, you know, somebody with, you know, a portable, you know, usually a Nagra or something like that, a, you know, one of these professional reel to reel tape recorders to, to actually catch the sound. And uh, and that's what that guy is doing. And for the idiot dubbers to go in there and say that that's a light meter, we, well, they're just being stupid, you know. <laughs> so it's like it's somebody not paying attention. So that's that's to me the stuff. That's to me how AIP handled Reptilicus and didn't leave the humor that was supposed to be there gotcha. because they gotcha. just didn't think yeah. it was going to play, you know. And it's like, well, I disagree with that. Is you know, you don't take something that's you know that's ob an obvious puppet and try to like, you know, make it into something else by cutting it up and slowing it down and reversing the footage and then plastering some kind of poorly animated green puke all over the place. You know, it just doesn't really, doesn't really work. So yeah. question about that, about specifically about the AIP added effects. And I think kind of in tune with what Gretchen was asking, does the Danish version also have those effects in it? No, it's that's completely um so to get down to specifics, the Danish version, which I think was probably very close to Sid Pink's version, at least in like the you know, the monster side of it, they wouldn't have, you know the difference between the two versions would have most likely been character driven. There's more like with the the two daughters, you know, and their love interests, you know, one of them is love interest for the for the general, you know, who looks like he could be her father and so forth. But um, besides all that stuff, I don't believe they would have filmed a whole bunch of different special effects. Like Sid Pink would have said, no, I don't like what you did there. So I'm going to do this thing over here. I think probably the special effects were consistent in both versions. So when you see the Danish version, it's probably more like what the special effects would have been in the original version that Sid Pink did. Now, the differences would be, again, there's no green slime. There's no repetition of, you know, shots. There was like that one shot of reptilians kind of like moving away from the camera that's like flipped various times and and is just played in slow motion and just looks really bad and, you know, nasty. And um, there's none of that. Uh, but there is things like reptilicus flying. There, there, there's less of a, a way, like there's a, there's less of a uh, method to try to hide that this is like a, you, you see more, um, I don't know, like complete shots. You know, this is a puppet on a small miniature set. There's no way you're going to get around that. So they just filmed it that way. Um, and they left that in. And I think that's how it should be viewed instead of trying to hide that it's a puppet on a set. Yeah, just because, own it. <laughs> yeah, just own it, you know? Like, you wouldn't do that to an Ed Wood movie. You wouldn't do that to, you know, I don't know, 
all movies, you know, also think about 1961. I mean, w- you know, what other giant monster movies were there at that time mm-hmm. that, uh, that really had good effects. There was only two Godzilla movies at that point. Yeah. And most and, of the, I'd say most of the stuff people saw from Japan, what, I mean, you're talking about that first decade of Toho stuff anyway, it was that the effects right. sometimes are great. Sometimes they're not so great. Right. Plus, yeah, I mean, the, the, I always, I know I go back to this movie a lot on random things, but that's why I was so blown away by the 1933 King Kong, because the effects still hold up, in my opinion. I mean, that movie is so solid. Um, but that's why it's like, well, they did that in 33, and I know it was here, but still it was like, like, how, how could they, you know, at least not hit that mark? But <laughs> but when you consider, well, you know. You know, just, I, I always felt the same just the uh, jungle in the 1933 King Kong mm-hmm. compared to the Peter Jackson's version. I mean, that jungle in the 33 Kong, which is completely fabricated. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't film yeah. anywhere, you know, yeah. on location. It's a bunch of sets and it's these glass paintings that, you know, with com- combined with miniatures and little you mm-hmm. know, stop motion uh, puppets that were um, models that, just give it depth and really, it yeah. really looks dangerous and, you know, and it has an atmosphere for, for totally. better or worse, whether, yeah. you know, whether it's something that the audience likes or the audience dislikes. I think most people tend to like the 33 con and appreciate it for what it is. It has a look to it. And that's the most mm-hmm. important thing. Totally. And I feel the same way with something like Gorgo or the first Godzilla or Reptilicus. They have, a look to it. Now there's various degrees of, you know, competence in the effects in those films just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, um, look, it's, you know, also to explain why does the 1933 Kong look that way? And, you know, E.G. Subaraya, who made, you know, who's part of the team responsible for Godzilla, you know, he was an entertainer. He loved King Kong. Oh, he yeah. was he was not the guy injecting social commentary into the whole thing and you know the atomic bomb. He just wanted to make a monster movie that blew the audience away as he was blown away by King Kong. Yeah. He would have loved to do stop motion special effects and do mm-hmm. all that intricate stuff that we just talked about. But not everybody had that luxury and that's oh, why yeah. that entire thing kind of like went by you know, fell by the wayside. You basically had one guy doing it right. through the fifties and sixties, Ray Harryhausen. Yeah. And because he was a one man show, he had time on his side. Mm-hmm. He could spend eight months to 10 months to, to make giant octopuses that would, that are pulling down the golden gate bridge and stuff yeah. like that. So he was able to orchestrate <laughs> all that stuff, you know, just himself. And that's the big difference why you don't have, you know, that level of, uh, special effects in in all these movies because you need somebody like that who can do it from concept to execution yeah. and you know they're i don't know it's like saying you know well, we need a michelangelo can we can we go to the university and find one you know yeah. it's like it's not not that easy. Yeah, so. you just get the Why cheap college kid. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Why yeah. didn't the, the the Danish folks have uh, have a Harryhausen or a Super Eye? Uh, <laughs> what the heck? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've always liked you know, the Super Eye's style was different. He had yeah. you know there there were um, he had to work faster. 
Yeah, um, it was super innovative. I mean, obviously his his stuff was incredible, and he did learn right. all the tools and ways to you know make stuff quicker. But um, exactly, yeah. he he excelled in other areas. You know, yeah. he wasn't just you know they some some people wrongly have the you know the um, perception of well he was the rubber suit guy. You know he he had to do well that was a necessity. He had to use actors in suits, but then he cleverly you know, knew how to, to, you know, combine miniatures properly to give it that scope or the way that they would do, you know, spaceships or, or, you know, force perspective to just really, um, you know, wow the audience. So he, you know, in his own way, he achieved that same thing that he always wanted. He made, he ended up making something that entertained audiences even more than King Kong did. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he just wasn't very good at King Kong himself. <laughs> so, Man, yeah. if, if only the Danish <laughs> company had their own Subaraya. I know. That's that, all it Are needed. you imagining like yeah. what Reptilicus could be? Yes, definitely. Because like, for me, it's like, it's like really, and I'm not trying to just talk mad garbage on Reptilicus, but it, like we mentioned in the episode, the effects in that film are like so like kind of bottom of the barrel that they are what I'm afraid people will look at that movie and think that's all kaiju films, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's it. But, and you know, there are some, I, I actually have to watch it again. Um, you know, watch both versions again, but I mean, there are some effective miniatures in the movie and I don't know if they come out. They, they did hire um, a miniature builder who I think was an architect. And um, he's the one who, you know, who who did some pretty impressive miniatures for the film. I mean, I think there's a scene where, I mean, it's there's definitely stills of it. There's stills of it in Kip's book um, of, you know, this very nice miniature of this clock tower with Reptilicus coiled around it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that really exists in the AIP version. Again, I'd have to mm-hmm. watch it again. I think there's some bits and pieces of it. But it's probably more complete in the Danish version. Gotcha. If I go back and, and, and see that. And, and that's what I'm saying. You know, the, it's best to leave effects the way they are um, and not say, well, you know, this, you know, it, because then they don't have a look to them. They don't have a style, mm-hmm. whatever it is, for better or worse. Um, at least the audience is getting some kind of visual out of it. And if you cut it up or, you know, enlarge it or do things to try to obscure that, you're taking away whatever that is. Yeah. You know? um, I think again, it's really it's obvious, yeah, that it's yeah. been messed with. Yeah. It's the right. special edition. Right. Yes. Of Reptilicus. <laughs> oh, so, George Jim, Lucas. I have to ask what? <laughs> Reptilicus shoots first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. He, yeah. I think we all know he does. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what possessed you to want to make a vinyl figure of Reptilicus? Because if you haven't seen it out there, listeners, I will include a link in the show notes to a picture of the M1 Reptilicus figure. So, well, I was, um, I've been good, you know, at the time and still am, but I was good friends with the company M1 from Japan. Um, and they're like the original, um, they're the company that, uh, you know, Yuji Nishimura is the guy that really brought back, you know, vinyl you know, this classic style of Japanese vinyl toy um, that has, you know, all of M1's releases have like a lot of history, um, if you will, like, you know, 
like why the why they look the way they do, why the colors, you know, the color design is the way it is. You know, he just has a really keen sense of like, you know, of what came before and can apply it so that it's desirable to fans, to to customers. And um, and I was working with them or as good friends with them and wanted to make vinyl toys. And um, at the time, you know, the late 90s, Bondi was the popular brand that everybody was buying here. And, uh, um, you know, it's they were realistic, uh, you know, for the time they were the most realistic sculpts. And, um, uh, you know, of these of, of these, you know, basically men in suit characters, you know, from Toho Company, that was the popular stuff that people were buying. And uh, so I wanted to make, you know, a realistic line of vinyl toys. But Yuji convinced me, well, you know, when you can get a license, you know, you can license some character, you know, you can, we should do it in this Japanese style. And um, so the first one that, you know, I thought of was Reptilicus. Um, and if I could get, you know, the license for this character uh, would be a cool one because that um, I based it on that lobby car. There's a famous lobby card image i mean it was uh, also you know used in stills of where reptilicus is kind of like rearing back and his head is you know upright uh, or like facing somewhat sky you know towards the sky and um, basically a building is just coming down around him now if you watch the movie it's a uh, it's actually the military trying to shoot at reptilicus blows up the building <laughs> so it's one of those oops you know moments <laughs> nice uh, that we always used to talk about we you know this was another again our mystery science theater type of humor about um japanese giant monster movies the military always seems to do way more damage to the you know surrounding buildings mm -hmm. than the trying to shoot at the at the kaiju than the kaiju actually do so <laughs> look at some of the scenes you know they're, they're just blowing just just wantonly blowing up everything around it so reptilicus has one of those moments but it's it's one of those um, really cool, you know, stills. And to me is, you know, again, like an, you know, an iconic shot. And I said, we're going to do this figure. It's got to be rearing up like that. You know, you, you wouldn't want to just do it as like a snake laying on the ground. That's like boring, you know. And uh, Yuji Nishimura was right, right on top of that. And, um, and he said, trust me, I'm going to have a sculptor, you know, I'm going to have somebody realize this, you know, in sculpting in sculpture and then you can decide you know if this is what you want to do and as soon as i saw it i said you're absolutely correct you know it's got to be done in that it's kind a of really beautiful doll. yeah it's a really and, beautiful uh, sculpture like i'm looking at the pictures of it and also kyle has one yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the and the guy who um the guy who or the artist who sculpted that is actually um fuyuki shinada who's one of the top suit makers in japan and he would, um, you know, for, for movies and television. And he oh. would um, also moonlight as a toy sculptor for M1. So and he'd they wouldn't the make that known because the idea was resin kits in Japan, the sculptors are known. But mm -hmm. for toys, the sculptor would never be known. Hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. It, you, you don't know who was making yeah. whatever. And it's being made in a particular style. So... They don't publicize that thing, but because I was releasing it in America, I said, "Hell yes, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna publicize nice, yeah. that." And, he, and yeah. Mr. Shinada actually sculpted all the figures that I did with M1. He did, 
nice. Gorgo figure, and he sculpted my uh, Rat Bat Spider. And he's the one, together with Yuji, who kind of designed, well, how is this going to work? You know, how how do Mm -hmm. we get this figure so it's rearing up like that in its, you know, trademark pose? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's got some kind of like, you know, so it's dynamic in in a way, but um, so that if it's sitting on the shelf for 20 years, it's just not going to fall over under its own weight yeah, or something. Yeah, totally. And, and what they decided to do with Reptilicus is they put um, pachinko balls in the tail and then oh. help there with resin no so kidding. that the tail would have weight and be able to support the entire figure. Huh, and wow. they will say after yeah, that was made in 1999 and 20 years, um, it has never, I've never had one collapse. Nice. <laughs> got reported that one, you know, reported from, Someone who bought it that, uh, yeah, my Reptilicus isn't doing very well. So. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know that about the tail, but it, it does yeah. have that weight to it. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool, dude. That's awesome. I love the his little hands. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Right. So for the listeners, Shinada also sculpted the M1 uh, GMK figures. So if you are a collector, uh, Shinada did all those. But he also did sculptures for GMK as well. So... Well, yeah, he's the, um, so everybody understands the context. He's the creator of all four monsters in, you know, GMK. And previous to that, he was the creator of Legion, the adult Legion in uh, oh. Gamma oh, yeah. yeah, He's the, the creator of Iris in uh, Gamma nice. 3. He's uh, the creator of Godzilla Saurus, the, the, the sculptor for Biollante. Yep. Um, That's right. So... He, they would always bring all your Shinata's favorite kaiju. All my favorite kaiju. Oh my yeah. Well, Shinada's style was to bring, you know, they would bring him in um, to utilize his style to create like these things that always look impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's very much, you know, in, I interviewed him once, uh, you know, I knew him pretty well and interviewed him once. And we specifically talked about that. And if there was anything, you know, these are, you know, again, men in suits and, or actors in suits, and he's trying to, you know, create the illusion that there's not somebody inside there, that it's an actual, you know, creature. And so anything that would imply, you know, like human characteristics, he would try to minimize that, if Mm. not like eliminate it completely. So um, I remember something with the feet or the, whatever you would consider the feet of uh, the, the giant legion, Mm-hmm. He didn't like that, and he made it more like crab-like or insect-like. Yeah. So and, unlike yeah, just, just, Ultraman yes. monsters. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so and then uh, um, so I got off the track there, but basically he's the creator of the GMK, you know, uh, the suits in GMK, the monsters in GMK, and then um, M1 because he was already doing work for them, obviously had him do those same characters in toy form, mm-hmm. you know, in their style. Yeah. And at that time, the Godzilla was that particular Godzilla in the movie. And I guess in the history of Godzilla is supposed to be a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And they, they got a suit actor who was bigger. Everything about it was supposed to be bigger and kind of like towering over these other monsters fighting it. So um, he, he did a little bit different style for M1 and made the, monster or the figure larger and at the same time he got the job to sculpt my gorgo figure so my gorgo figure if you look at it is very similar in style to his 
his vinyl sculpt, his <laughs> sculpture for the vinyl toy he of G- the GMK Godzilla. I can kind of like see very that. similar pose and in the height and everything is yeah. kind of similar. Honestly, I'm in the best position in the uh, setup here to look at the Gorgo figure. He's in the very back my, of all those guys, so it's hard to see him. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yes, I can totally see the uprightness and the way the hands are positioned. Almost, yeah, cool. And the you know the bottom line with all that was um, with me making toys is that back then you couldn't get a Toho license, a Tuberaya license is very, very difficult. And, um, and so, um, and M1 does everything completely above board because they have good relationships with all the studios in Japan. So, um, you know, they wouldn't sell something to me to distribute here without a proper license. And I wouldn't ask for it anyway, because you don't put your friends in that kind of position. You know, if they have a successful business. So it was kind of incumbent on me to find something else that you know could be licensed and you know and distributed and so lo and behold it was reptilicus and that led to doing uh you know i also got the license from sid pink to do uh the rapat spider and the giant amoeba from angered planet and um and then also you know also led to doing gorgo which was a separate license you know i don't have the Ratbat spider figure i've often often looked at it online it's pretty but I don't remember. I don't remember the amoeba. Well, the the uh, the amoeba actually was didn't. It never got released. Oh, okay. Um, and the reason the reason for that is, um, and now I'm like really veering off course, but I might as well say it anyway. <laughs> um, was because uh, Yuji Nishimura, in his wisdom, said to me, "Look, um, you know that would have been my third figure." And he said, when you release vinyl toys, your third figure is very important because the customer decides they're going to buy everything that you put out at that point. Oh, interesting. So he goes, you can't release this thing that basically looks like, um, as Funyara <laughs> from Astro Zombie said, a, a, a pile of mashed potatoes. You <laughs> have to release something more, you know, that, that was the, they didn't say it in so many words, but that was the thing. You have to release something more substantial. You have to give your customers something more substantial. So he was, and he was absolutely correct because the Gorgo, um, you know, was wildly successful when we put that out. Everybody cool. loved that. Um, unfortunately at the time it was the last figure I put out, but it, you know, for, for <laughs> other reasons, I just got out of the business, you know, after nine 11 collectibles as a business was not what it was. Yeah. Cause a lot of people were out of work and, you know, and the first thing to go is their, you know, um, their fun money. And mm-hmm. so they, and then people started selling their collections and, you know, it just wasn't a good market to be in at that time. So un, for an unrelated reason, I got out of it, but now, you know, I'm slowly getting back into that because vinyl toys have like kind of popped up again to be like, an, you know, um, very sought after. No, they haven't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, the, yes, and the licensing has completely relaxed. I mean, you know, um, now with, you know, companies here distributing actual Japanese products legally, um, mm-hmm. you know, instead of people having to, uh, you know, hunt around for it. And, and, you know, it was just so much more difficult 20 years ago. It was just a much different time. And, um, and the collectible market was not what it is now. Now it's like the sky's the limit, whatever, you know, people are, uh, companies are clamoring to get these licenses to release, you know, 
stupid things like Funko Pops, but it's wildly mm-hmm. successful. Yeah. So yeah. even if it's not something that I would collect, um, it's just healthy for the for the entire thing to have that you know that kind of appeal to um, you know to people everywhere. Yeah. So, so like no pressure, but does that mean you're working on another figure? Yes. Okay. All right. That's all I need to know. Yeah. We could say that for, well, I don't know, even know if it's relevant to a podcast called Kaiju Cast, but we'll talk about it later. Sure. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Jim's releasing his first Dr. Surgeon figure later <laughs> on this year. Uh, well, Jim, dude, thanks so much for at least shedding a lot of light on Reptilicus. Because I know that even when I did the prep work for the episode, that I didn't find that much stuff on it. I will maybe reluctantly check out the Danish version. But uh, you definitely hooked us up with a lot more information than we had on that film. And uh, I'm glad you came by. To came by. I'm glad you <laughs> showed up to uh, school us on this particular film. Well, I'm glad everybody, you know, didn't flee in terror. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I, I recommend finding um, Kip Dotto's Reptilicus, the screenplay. And, you know, it's an easy read. Um, you know, you obviously don't need to read through the entire screenplay. But, um, you know, he, he goes into the the history of it and, and why it, it is what it is and and uh, and basically got all sides of the story. So he he interviewed people from the Danish production, from Sid Pink's production, including Sid Pink, and then also um, you know people from AIP who um, were the ones who tinkered with the Sid Pink version. So you get a pretty well-rounded view. And then you know watch the Danish, you know get the Danish version and watch it with that stuff in mind. You know once you have that information. And, you know, again, I just, you know, not saying anybody's wrong for (laughs) pointing out how cheesy this is, this movie is, um, but it has its place in, you know, monster, giant monster history and is, you know, shouldn't just be, you know, kind of relegated to like a dustbin somewhere. Which is kind of what I did to it. Essentially, yes. <laughs> I literally I'm forgot to nice, add it you know, to now the. I'm accusing you. Of <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. I, I, I admit that I forgot to add it, and then I was like, "Ooh, I need to add this to the Daikaiju discussion list." I guess it's going to go in the one of the last spots. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Jim, again, thank you, man. It's been great to learn about the movie, and uh, I will include links in the show notes to anything I can find from Kip Dotto's work on this film and uh, of course photos of the beautiful reptilicus figure that uh, I have on my desk, but I'll, I'll like send people to club Tokyo.org or something like that. So they can see all the different color variations. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again and uh, we will catch you soon. All right. Thanks everybody. Thanks thank so much, you. man. Yeah, Take care. See ya. So, do you guys think you would learn that much about uh, Rebdiculous in one episode of the Kaiju cast? <laughs> no. I did not. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to go back and check out the... I am. The data. Are you? Yeah, I'm okay. really, I really want to know. Well, I really want to see bring the it over tonality. Here, I will. Yeah. And we'll check it out together because I... With some booze. Sure. Right. Some booze yeah. and we'll really enjoy it. Do it up. <laughs> <laughs> 
you guys, thank you so much for coming over and being part of this. Uh, when Jim mentioned it to me that he thought it would be cool to come on to the podcast and talk about how we were all wrong. At first, I was like, all right, I'm willing to be that punching bag. Not that we were, <laughs> not that we were getting beaten up or anything. But then it just very quickly happened. Like Gretchen was like, I'll do it. And then immediately I was like, well, you text Rachel and I'll text Martin. And it all this came together. Yeah. And, so and then I was super fast. confused at first. Gretchen's like, can you do a Reptilicus episode? And I'm like, didn't we already do one? <laughs> we, yeah, we and then did. she's like, but we're going to talk to a guy that created the toy. And I was like, I don't. What are you talking about? What are we doing? I'm like, yes, I can, but I'm I'm, I'm really confused on what we're doing. <laughs> it's what I like. I just like everybody to be confused about what we're doing. But until I said we're yes. Doing it. No, it's, I, I'm so glad you guys all said yes. I honestly, I, I would, I was not even going to try. Yeah. I was just going to yeah. be like, eh, whatever. I guess I'll do it all by myself. But I'm so glad you guys made it. Yeah, especially fun. since this is the original Ridiculous Crew. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode. I think what we're going to do is we're going to play the Tivoli song from this episode. So uh, we'll be back with another ultra cool episode at the end of the month. Uh, don't forget to hit that pre-order for the Kaiju Cast Death Metal shirt. And if you haven't ordered your poster, the link will also be in the show notes for that as well. We will see you for the next episode. Jamata. Tivoli night, oh what a sight All Copenhagen is dancing Left to end night, come hold me tight This is a place for romancing Down by the lake lovers dream to a song Like they were doing when grandma was young Tivoli night, Tivoli moon Life is entrancing when we're romancing You're all dressed up and with a smile on your face You look as gay as can be Soon you'll be going to a wonderful place You've got a date there, my honey, with me Night. Oh, what a sight! All Copenhagen is dancing. Left and right, come hold me tight. This is a place for romancing. Down by the lake, love is dream to a song. Like they were doing when Grandma was young. Tivoli night, life is so bright. Lanterns are gleaming when we are dreaming. Dancing in Tivoli. Dancing in But the Denmark, the Denmarkian. <laughs> Sorry. The Danish. <laughs> the Danish. I know it's not Denmarkian. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> From Denmarkia. Denmarkia. Anyway. <laughs> the Denmark well, over there. Yeah. I don't know if we Denmark, Denmark and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to have something like for the end of the show after we wrap. <laughs> anyway.